Welcome, welcome. This is episode number 69 of the Bearded Marketers Podcast, the only internet marketing podcast that matters. I'm Rob. And I'm Corey. Every Monday morning around 10 a.m., I don't know, Eastern, you can catch new episodes at thebeardedmarketers.com slash podcast on iTunes and on Stitcher Radio, bringing the latest, the hottest. Run us through the topics. All right. So for this week, you had sponsoring bloggers. Yeah. What is, what is with that? And have you been duped? <laughs> We all have. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Moving right along, summertime, maybe you've missed some spring cleaning. We're going to talk about some summer cleaning and what are some things maybe you need to remove from your website that are getting in the way. Moving right along, Weird Al. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Weird Al. That's it. And then wrapping things up with our infamous Google Corner. What are the things happening in Mountain View from our favorite search engine? Go ahead. Kick us off. Bloggers. What do we need to know about getting their audience's eyes first of all how dare you we cannot start an episode without talking about oh, yeah, what we're sure drinking I, did that again. <laughs> I am on a moscow mule again it's two weeks in a row okay i promise i'll switch it up next time i'm going back og style glenn footage 15 double neat as well grow some chest hair so i'm just going straight up scotch it's summertime i thought you're supposed to be getting rid of that just making it crazier yeah. let's talk about sponsoring bloggers youtube channelers Instagrammers, pinners. I was watching a video on a blog that we follow. I won't name names because I'm going to rip it a little bit here. <laughs> the premise of it was how great it is right now with the ubiquitous nature of social media and how everyone is always on their Facebook and Pinterest and Instagram, especially if you're a female. We're always checking those things out. So there's such an awesome channel to get views on your product in a sort of outside the box way, at least this is what they were claiming, right? And that is sponsoring these bloggers or YouTubers. <gasps> uh, heard of this. Giving away free products to them with the express intention of them pitching your stuff to all of their followers, viewers, whatever, penners, whatever you want to call it. These people are obviously very informed with the latest in marketing trends. Right, yeah. So number one, <laughs> uh, that's been around forever. <laughs> that's not new. But I did want to bring it up for a couple of reasons. Number right. one, to point out that this is not new. And for those of you who may not be aware, this is a thing. I think it's gone beyond what people maybe are expected it has gone to. So, for instance, everyone, I guess, would sort of assume that if you see a review for something on a blog, it's probably promoted. It's being promoted, right? I mean... I don't know if most people okay. assume well, that, well, then to be let's, honest. Let's make sure that everyone now knows who's listening to the podcast if you're reading a positive review of some product on a blog, it's likely because they got paid to do it and or got free product to do it, right? Correct. I would, I hope that a lot of if people... If it has a decent that, audience. Right? Maybe not Greg's personal blog about yes. my cats. Maybe right. not that one. But Actually, maybe so too. Maybe so. Yes. It's tricksy. But I think what's happening more and more now, though, is this is getting harder and harder to detect. So you could be watching... Uh, there's tons of YouTube channelers out there who've got millions of viewers, right? Sure. And they could just casually drop a few products, maybe mention them, maybe they're in the background of a shot. I mean, we're talking about product placement type stuff that happens in multi-million dollar blockbuster films. I mean, this stuff now happens in YouTube videos that mm -hmm. you wouldn't expect it. I mean, this is an 18-year-old kid, lives at his mom's house, but he's getting paid to have that Coke can next to him in this right. video or whatever it is. So be aware of that. Also be aware, I mean, Instagram and, and Pinterest, this is becoming huge as well. Sure. Um, you know, a lot of these guys, again, have huge followers and they're sort of, what's massively popular on both of those are these sort of, I guess, lifestyle type personalities, right? Everyone, oh, I love her. You know, I follow everything she does. 
Yeah, I mean, but, I think from a company standpoint, I can obviously pay for placement in popular shows or movies, but I think the prevailing thought might be that these people are a little bit more emotionally invested into mm-hmm. these essentially people that have become ingrained in, in some people's everyday life. They're always checking their Instagram or they're waiting for those new videos to pop up in YouTube, and they're really feel connected to these people much more deeply so than maybe the latest Transformers movie or whatever. So I think that these companies for a while have clamored to these audiences because I think there's a, just an inherent higher trust level with mm-hmm. them. Yeah. And people are paying yeah. attention more right. to that type of stuff that's going on. And well, again, it's not new. Yeah. Well, I think what's what's especially bad about a lot of those things too is that you think you're actually following a person, but sure. you're not. This mm-hmm. is a production team who mm-hmm. runs a network of 10 other personalities right. uh, that all have different Instagram accounts. And they're getting paid by companies to come to them and, and market to you specifically. Mm-hmm. I mean, each personality has a different audience. It's way more legitimate and corporate than you would expect. I mean, so, there was an NPR story I was listening to the other day talking about the dollars and social media. Mm-hmm. And they were talking to a lady who has an Instagram account, and I think she had two or 300,000 followers. She was in full disclosure. Some companies like Coca-Cola just paid me three grand to do an Instagram post where I just took up an artsy photo of a can in New York City. And that's not all she does, but there is a lot of money out there to essentially, you know, again, get that product placement and that marketing to those to those channels. So understand that it's happening probably a, at a much greater frequency than most people realize. Yeah. And I just wanted to close it out with a lot of this is technically illegal here this in the US. This is true. Yeah. FTC, um, your F- friend. Yeah. FTC's got a ton of guidelines out there that say basically if a company pays you or gives you something with the sort of intention of you mentioning it in a positive light, you have to very clearly state that you are a promoter of mm-hmm. that product or, or company. Where you got it for free from exactly. them. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, that example you gave of the Coke can, that definitely there's a line that gets blurry sure. there. But it's all just scumbaggery. Marketers, man, they find any way to... It'll be interesting, too, to see how audiences react to it. That's what the lady was going into in this NPR piece was, you know, her audience is is varied on the topic. You know, some people understand that she enjoys what she does and they obviously find her content valuable. And now that she's trying to monetize it and be able to contribute more of her life to it, some people are fine and support that, whereas others see it as, in air quotes, selling out. So Mm. the article was interesting, but just be mindful of the legal aspects because a lot of people forget that, but also know that these type of tactics are not new. Yeah, be aware. Everyone's selling to you all the time. All, all those right. makeup channels yeah. on YouTube that you thought were legit? Nope. Nope. Damn Just. it. <laughs> now, what am I supposed to watch on YouTube? Your eyeliner still looks fine. But. Okay, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so moving right along, I wanted to cover an article that was prompted some brewing in my mind of, you know, and I think we've mentioned this on the podcast before, and I think most people when they're running tests or thinking about items to do on their website, very few, not often enough, people are considering it with a red pen on what things do I need to actually remove from my website or just consider sprucing things up. And this was actually prompted by an article on Crazy Eggs blog. So I'll run through a couple of them and give my own little annotations with experience on them. So a couple things, and this is one that you actually did a video on. Number one was stock images. What? Get those things out of here. 
no, I'm kind of split on that. And if you haven't seen Rob's video, definitely check it out. You can go to the beardedmarketers.com slash videos, check it out there. But in the way of stock images, kind of what they were going on in this article was they don't really serve a purpose and it looks very bland or other people might have them. I think that if you can get selective with your stock photos, they can be okay. And you gave some tips on that. I think you need to avoid the ones that everyone else uses. One of the purposes that stock photos can provide people is if they don't have a very good asset in photography, then using professionally done ones can actually help your brand image. You know, I, I am for if you can get your own images, then do that. But if that's going to be at the cost of looking like you're a garage operation, then maybe forego that and just get more selective about the stock images that you use. So maybe consider what ones that you are deploying on your website and maybe how we need to refresh them. Also, you know, just and stock photos plays into this. I think that people need to also continually change up their website. Keep it fresh. Keep it moving. You know, make it fluid and dynamic. Don't just create a shell and just let it sit there collecting dust over time. Ooh, this is a good one way too much information. So where I run into this quite often in talking with companies is they get paralyzed by the what if scenarios. So when we talk with people and we're analyzing pages and we're doing tests, oftentimes we'll ask them, you know, this is like a serious book of information we're having to digest here on the page. You know, what led you? Is there any sort of regulatory things that you need to consider or what led to all this copy? And what people often talk to us about is, well, what if someone has this question? Or what if this person does this? Or what if, what if? And over time, you just build this monstrosity of a page trying to accommodate all these what if scenarios, but at the cost of overwhelming everyone. So make sure that you're being critical about how much information you have on your site and your pages. Is it too much for people to digest? And maybe even if you can consider certain scenarios where people might have questions or concerns, try to objectively think how much traffic really is that or how often do we anticipate that happening? And is this page the actual proper place for that? Moving right along, and this is one that, whoo I see a lot. And I would say, they say two or more calls to actions, and I would just say button overload. So... Uh, just in normal surfing around the internet, I often come across sites where you just get into button and click overload when you get on pages. Actually, on this Crazy Egg page is a great example. So in my screen right now, I have four buttons, and then I have one, two, three, four, five, six social buttons that are following me around the page at all times. And what ends up happening with a lot of these sites is they have multiple objectives that they're trying to do. So on this page, it's get a free trial. Let's log into my account. Oh, check out some of our plans. Please tweet us. Please buffer us. Please like us. All these things. And eventually that starts wearing on the people. And also what it starts doing is hiding what the main objective is. If there's all these buttons and banners and things for me to interact with. As a user, I struggle to understand what's the main purpose of this page. Like, what do you want me to do and pay attention to? When you're looking at your site this summer, when you're doing your summer cleaning, start looking at some of your pages and see, is it very clear to my users where they should go? Or should I tone down some of my buttons and interaction levels and really cause people to focus on the areas that I really want them to? And sometimes that's tough for certain companies because you have multiple business units that are kind of fighting for people's attention. 
Um, but sometimes that can mean that everyone is penalized. So you want to yeah. consider that. I would say just in general, you know, what you were talking about call to actions. I mean, that can be a tough one depending on the scenario you find yourself in. You know, like you said, you may have multiple objectives mm-hmm. on a page or even, for example, on a shopping cart page. Maybe there is, you know, I know Amazon is famous for that. You usually have two or three buttons, you know, so right. add to cart or subscribe or one click buy this now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think in general, it's a good rule of thumb to have one primary one that is heavily emphasized via color and spacing and size. You can have multiple other ones, but they need to be de-emphasized. So a, a decent example that you'll sometimes see is you know, like a sign up button, but beneath it in text would say, I already have an account. Right. And so, mm-hmm. so that's a good way to avoid having two big buttons that are evenly weighted, mm-hmm. you know, heavily minimize one and, and put it in the same area. But, you know, you want to go with that one primary call to action that you sure. want. So good point. So an interesting one, this article points out, which probably might be a test for you, might be unique to certain situations is objectively look at with your landing pages and portions of your website, do you potentially need to remove your navigation and cause people to be more focused on the page? Now, I don't mean that you're essentially trapping people, but maybe de-emphasizing some of your navigation. So what I would do is take a look at some of your pages and think through, do we need to have an alternative menu or navigation style for some of our pages for maybe our PPC traffic or things like that. Maybe we don't need to overwhelm them with so many link choices and navigations and take up so much space. Maybe we want to get quicker into engaging the user. And again, removing some of those distractions that might be getting in the way of, again, reaching the customers like they do, especially in certain channels like PPC, where at time to engage people might be slightly smaller than some of your other channels, you might see some good benefits in going to a slimmer page version. The last two I'm going to cover is one, I'm going to wrap into one, which they talked about blocks of text and boring button copy. I would just say take an objective look at your text altogether. Number one, how current is it and how conversational is it? I feel as if many sites, when I'm reading the text, it just lacks the passion that seems to be apparent looking at their products and some of their other branding items. But the copy on the website just doesn't really exude that emotion, Mm -hmm. which I want to buy into. You know, your product may be kind of interesting or your offering. And I just find that the text oftentimes is maybe just a forgotten portion of that, which I think is maybe indicative of our space. There's a lot of effort that's concentrated on features and how do our websites look and the cool little things that we can do with them. But I think oftentimes copy is kind of that side thing where, oh, we'll just pay a, a writer to do that or, you know, we'll give... Judy's kind of bored over there in the call center. We'll have her write some things up. You know, there's not a lot of focus there. On the button aspect, more people need to spend some time and how are you communicating what those next steps are. Some of these people out there that will talk to you about like submit being like the worst word ever and it's just costing you 100% conversions. I don't necessarily know if that's the case, but I do think that optimizing your button copy and helping people understand maybe what the next steps are or just reinforcing that conversation that you were having with them can make a difference. I don't think it's probably 3x the amount of conversion you're going to get, but I think there is something material there to, to pay attention to. And while we're on forms, the last thing I want to wrap up with is if you do have forms on your websites, which a lot do out there, take a look at how much information are we asking from people? Have we gotten too greedy? Have we allowed the sales team to dictate 
that we need a three-page form filled out by everyone that wants to get an email from us or potentially get a product demo. And that's really costing your customer acquisition. I think that there's a good balance there that you have to achieve and that there's sometimes the benefit of adding friction in there that you're getting qualified people and not having to pay for poor leads. But you also need to balance that with how much effort am I going to put into potentially just trying you out? And is that a big enough deterrent that we're costing ourselves legitimate conversions in the end run? So that's actually one of my favorite things to test recently is removing and adding fields, measuring the impact on signups or lead submissions or whatever it is versus what is the value of the additional information we're even collecting? Setting up a separate email list and seeing if those people actually convert better by capturing more information or if it doesn't even matter. I feel like a lot of people don't you know, pay attention to like you were saying, is having what in our mind we think is a more qualified lead, is that actually making a difference? Does right. it actually help the sales process by collecting those five additional pieces of information or is it just costing us leads overall? Sure, absolutely. That's a good point. So moving right along, an interesting pivot to Weird Al. Yeah. Like you had some interesting points that you wanted to bring up with his latest marketing scheme that he cooked up, which is taking the internet by storm, at least certain portions of it. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't know what day we're on right now. I, I don't really pay much attention to it. But Weird Al has this promotion, whatever, hashtag eight days, eight videos thing going on right now. And I was watching a video earlier today about sort of the backstory of what happened here. So what he's doing is he's got a new album coming out. I don't even know this guy still had albums coming out, but apparently he does. And his studio was not going to give him money to do music videos for them. So it being the day and age we are in, he approached eight different viral websites. So places like College Humor, I think Reddit was one of them. Mm -hmm. There were a few other ones. And he said, look, I'll work a deal with you where you pay and we'll produce a video together and I'll premiere it on your site. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do this eight different sites and a new video is going to come out every day on a different site. So each site is going to benefit greatly from having all sure. of this traffic mm -hmm. and brand exposure. He'll get all of his music videos made for free and be able to promote his new upcoming album. So I... Suck at studio? Right. I, you know, I'm not a Weird Al fan. I haven't really watched a lot of the videos. I don't have radio, so I don't think that they would make much sense to me. I have a radio. I don't listen to it now. So uh, let's clarify that a bit. I did want to mention it because I think, like, a lot of us internet marketers, I think, don't think so much about how old world media is going to start affecting us in mm -hmm. the next few years here. I mean... Internet marketing isn't so much about guys who are scrappy and doing their own thing. I mean, there are million-dollar corporations stepping in. There are people with big brands who are taking over things that a YouTube channel guy used to own. No, now Weird Al owns that. Yeah, you used to do little parody videos, but no, really actually famous people are stepping in and, right. and taking over a lot of those niches. Big brands are coming in and taking over things that small guys used to think they owned on the Internet. Again, I just wanted to mention that it's just another example of old world media slash company coming in and just dominating a niche in the online space and, and keep an eye out for what could happen in your niches out there, what your industries. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a challenge to us to always be on our toes yeah. in that when I talk to certain marketers, they feel like they have owned this kingdom that there's these antiquated dinosaurs out there and the other marketing fields that will never catch up and online is just this completely different niche. And that's just simply not the case. And a lot of these companies now are starting to pivot efforts and money into these types of channels and understand that 
if they want to and they have the gumption, they can dominate you and run you out. I mean, a perfect example is one of the clients that I had worked with in the past is in home security. And one of the things that has happened in that industry lately has been that AT&T and cable companies have gone in there and started doing security services in an effort to keep people in contracts longer because they're mm-hmm. struggling on the cable market and other things. Because they have so much money and resources to dedicate, they have gone in and like decimated that industry in certain geographical regions. And that aspect of marketing, that example, is just one of many out there. And understand that these things like Weird Al's efforts and these big companies out there, they can come for you. And it's imperative that you keep up with these things, stay fluid, because that's going to be the differentiator. Yeah. These people can get involved, but those changes are very slow and very painful for them sometimes, whereas you can be much more agile, and that's going to be your differentiator. So again, keep in mind, old world can come to new, and it can shake things up quite a bit. So that means yeah. you need to be on it. Absolutely. I mean, I think your security example is perfect. I mean, all it takes is a big offline company to pivot in one direction and run you completely out of mm-hmm. business online. So you got to stay on your toes. Yeah. So wrapping things up, we got the Google corner. What's happening over in Mountain View? So quickly, we'll run down some changes. If you're in the e-commerce space, PLAs, those are product listing ads. If you don't know what those are, maybe you're not in e-commerce. If you type in a product, like let's say Germany World Cup winner t-shirts, you'll notice that there's probably going to be some products that are directly pulled into your feed on Google, like shirts that actually appear on the right-hand side. Those are actually product listing ads. So these are different than the typical PPC ads. They'll actually feature a product image, things like that. Anyways, Google is actually conducting some testing in that area, and now they're going to be lumping in different pricing breakdowns, things like that. So understand that if you do run ads in that PLA space, that Google is starting to tweak some of the display of how those ads come out, and they might be tweaking some of your data if you're seeing that. Also, if you are in the PPC space, we'll keep there for a bit. There's a very interesting AdWords white paper and discussion on quality score. And we're actually going to tweet out the link. But if you do PPC and you feel like this notion of quality score is this voodoo black magic that you're not really too sure on, I would definitely give this white paper a look through. And there's actually a very interesting article on search engine land. And the reason why it's particularly interesting is that AdWords is becoming a little bit more transparent in how they're calculating it. Before, there was a lot of vague terms, and it was obvious that they were leaving out certain elements that they were using in their calculations, which to their defense is probably so it does not get abused. But it is a very interesting white paper and might help direct some of your strategies, not just in how you conduct PPC, but how you construct your site and where you're directing people from your PPC efforts to get those quality scores up as high as possible. Also, last thing on AdWords, and we're going to get to one last thing before I do, and it's quite funny. AdWords has released a mobile app for Android and iPhone. If you're like Rob and I, and have pissed you off more than once trying to get into the interface and use it they've released an app they've actually have a google analytics app now too so what google is starting to answer the call they obviously listen to our podcasts and rob and i's angry emails back and forth to one another but if you are in the adwords space there is a new app out there that can help you control your efforts there so it might lead to less frustration on your daily marketing efforts last thing and this is very interesting so in France, there in the last couple of weeks, there was actually a blogger that was sued for a Google Plus review they did on a website. Interestingly enough, 
the basis of the suit and the damage calculation was based on how featured that review was in the business listing on Google. How crazy is that? So back, back, back up a second. Okay. Where was this review? This is in France. Well, I, I okay. this is the internet. So it was on the internet. But so this person put a review on like the company's Google Plus listing. So it was made on TripAdvisor, but then was okay. also pulled into the restaurant's Google Plus page right, because yeah. of the integration. Gotcha. And because it was a famous blogger that had a lot of clout in TripAdvisor and was like approved or whatever, it got featured more on the Google Plus page. Oh, and they got sued. On top of it, the French court went, yeah, that's right. You got to pay. So moral of the story, in France, be careful what you review. <laughs> Because well, you could get sued. Now, that wouldn't happen necessarily in America because of First Amendment, potentially. I mean, you can sue anyone for any reason over here, but one would assume that that wouldn't be necessarily an issue here. But I thought it was an interesting case. We'll tweet out the link. It's very funny read that that actually happened, and the court upheld it. So we'll have to see maybe what the appeals process looks like for that. Okay, I'm so confused on this. So, I mean, I understand the concept, but it's blowing my mind, I guess, so much that I am reeling right now. <laughs> Everything what, shook up. What, I mean, so were there false allegations in it? Or it was, just, it was just so unnecessarily harsh? I mean, I guess, is that like the... Yeah, but they didn't dispute you're anything. You're being mean. You're yeah, being mean. exactly. I mean, you didn't actually say anything that was not true in this review. That wasn't the basis of the case at all. It was more just the exposure and the negative impact to the business based on the prominence of the review. That is absolutely mind-blowing. All right, I'm going to have to read the whole thing. We're going to have to tweet this out. Everyone who's listening, I know you're going to have to read this article. (laughs) Don't worry. I'll tweet it out. All right, so that's going to do it for us on this episode number 69. Thank you so much for your time. If you enjoyed yourself, please give us a rating. We'd love to have your feedback on the show on whatever app you access us on, whether that's Stitcher, iTunes, whatever. Also, if you enjoyed yourself, which I know you probably did, share with a friend, a colleague, as Rob would like to say, a lover. If you'd like to submit a topic for the show, perhaps you listen every week and go, hmm, those beer guys are pretty smart. So they didn't think about this. Tell us at thebeardedmarketers.com or you can call us at 904-270-9603. Rob waits by the phone day and night waiting for your calls or potentially you're struggling with something. You don't really know where to turn. We have a lot of experience in different industries out there and can potentially help you or put you in contact with someone that can. Love to hear from you. That's going to do it for us this week. Thank you again so much for your time and we'll see you next time. See ya. See ya.